You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to Sharing Socks, the uh, Wait Till Next Year edition. We are uh, taping this on Wednesday after the miserable performance on Tuesday that ended the White Sox season. I am uh, Southside Sox duty geezer Lee Allen. I am wearing my hat that once had Ozzie Guillen's autograph on it. I am wearing a 2005 celebratory shirt because I want to remember when we had an actual manager. And with me are my son and West Coast correspondent, Will, who has behind him, for those of you on audio, a despondent-looking White Sox dugout. Uh, and, well, it should be. Uh, we just uh, we just said, well, what are we talking about? And, and uh, apparently we're going to disagree on the very first thing. I thought, in addition to just blowing the entire year, and I really want to get into that, that's more important, but blowing a number of decisions in the, in the playoffs, which it's kind of inevitable. Uh, I thought Tony Lewis last night after the game, instead of being a reasonable human being and saying, hey, we got beats, um, maybe we had too much adrenaline used up on Monday, whatever he wanted to say, my guys fought hard, they did their best. Yeah, they're on, uh, good luck to them. None of that stuff, none of the things that, Everybody else in, in baseball or any sport would say, whether they meant it or not, uh, he comes out and goes, well, they intentionally at Jose and they ought to know to bullshit. That did not happen. They talk about the Astros being a patient team. Well, if this was supposed to be, I guess, paybacks for uh, Jose Altuve getting hit, Altuve got hit in the third inning. Abreu was up in the third inning. Nothing came close to him. Abreu got hit with two outs in the eighth inning, 
And you, that's patience. You want real, real patience? Theoretically, this pitcher who the Russo is saying was throwing at Jose, and goodness knows I don't like Jose getting hit with baseballs, but he doesn't do much to avoid him. <laughs> Did it on the seventh pitch of the at-bat. Now that's patience. Oh, I'll wait and get him on pitch number seven. That's just crap. And that is Tony La Russa because he's a jerk. And he probably didn't want to talk about, well, yeah, I pretty much mismanaged the whole season. Okay, so first off, I'll say uh, I do actually agree with you on the post-game stuff. I think that was an absolute trash move to come out of that series with that as your selling point in your your post-elimination where where I thought you were going to say is getting mad that he even came out of the dugout. And no, I, I, it's fine he came out of the dugout. I, I think he put on a long show so the fans could see him out there being being tough. But, yeah, no, coming out of the dugout, any manager would have done that. that that's fine. So, so I loved him. It, the only move that I have enjoyed this whole season from Tony La Russa, the only one. Is where he was coming, running? It's him coming <laughs> out of the dugout. To, to to argue that they hit Jose intentionally, which I, I mean, I'm with you. Why would you even hit the guy? Who gives a crap at that point? You're up the thousand to one. Who cares? Uh, it, there's no way it was intentional. It's just they hit a guy who leans out over the plate and gets hit a lot, whatever. And who has I, biceps the size of a rhinoceros. Yeah. And that's he why he doesn't even care. Didn't Unless hit him he, in the head, you know. No, the it, one that hit him in the head, he he cared. The one, well, yeah. and I think the one Detroit one, he meant to take it on his bicep as he always does, and he kind of, you know, it was a sinker or something, and it and it hit him on the elbow. That's that's the only time I've ever seen him get upset. Because uh, well, yeah, because he, he, he won't elbow. wear the elbow. But Jose getting hit on the bicep, he doesn't try to get out of the way. He just takes it. It's part of what he does. Yeah, he probably doesn't he's, even feel he's, that. He's, His biceps he's are bigger than, than my head. any NFL middle linebacker that you're going to run into. And he just lets him bounce so, off. So here's what I'll say, though. Let me finish this thought about La Russa. I love La Russa coming out to argue that. I was like, finally, this guy is doing something. Here's where he lost me even in the one moment where I thought I was going to like him. He gave up before he got ejected. And if well, he you, was trying. <laughs> But he wasn't because you just have to say the magic words. You That's just true. have to say like, hey, ref, fuck your mother. And then you're gone. And <laughs> wh- why do you not do that? You're you're getting your butt whooped at home. Your team. I mean, have you ever seen a more lifeless White Sox team than the second no, half of no, that? That was sad. I mean, it was pathetic. It was I, I don't want to blame the players, but players, come on. You've got 50,000 people in there cheering. They're butts off for you. They want you to win. When you're down 5-1, you don't give up. You were down 5-1 before, and you won the game. Give me a break. The The team's performance from about the third inning on was absolutely well, and, and especially, especially because, uh, and I thought, I didn't know why Dusty was uh, pulling uh, Lance McCullers, but it turns out he, he was getting some forearm tightness, which could be bad news for Houston going up against Boston, unless it's a very quick thing. So, McCullers, you were not going to come back on 5-1 on McCullers. You weren't. But that Houston bullpen, we proved we could decimate. Exactly. Yeah, it's like they, all the adrenaline went into Sunday. 
Yeah, and, 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 and it was the, just so drained they couldn't they couldn't get any energy back, and, which is sad. I'm, I'm not you know blaming any given player or group of players, but it just it didn't have the life. And then the the, the biggest spark plug, of course, is Tim getting on base, and he didn't at any time of the game. It just happened that way. It's bound to happen sooner or later. He's one of the greatest post game hitters ever. Um, I mean, honestly, the worst thing. Potentially the worst thing that happened to the White Sox was being rained out on Monday because it really felt like they came out of Sunday like, oh, boy, we're going to be back at noon tomorrow. And we the adrenaline still would have been pumping. Then you take that rain out day and they showed up sleepy as can be, except for Rodon, who came out firing in the first inning, got the crowd into it. I thought, OK, here we go. We're going to see. We're going to get pumped, but man, they deflated. And and back to my LaRusa point, if you are going to come out there and argue that call, you have to do whatever it takes to get thrown out of that game. Because going out there as the manager and not getting thrown out at that point of the game is the most pathetic, <laughs> wimpy, lazy move you can possibly make. What good is it to go out there and argue for 10 minutes just to take even more wind out of the sail? And the arguing was so blasé. It was so by the numbers. If Tony wanted us to have any respect for him after this game, which wasn't likely, but let's just give a big if, he has to go out there. He needs to be kicking the dirt. He needs to be throwing the hat. He needs to – I don't care if he pushes somebody. He has to do what I, li- I like the takes. kicking dirt on the umpire's shoes. I, I think that's a cute one. How, how do you not kick dirt? How Bill, do Billy you Martin not specialty. kick dirt? Lloyd McClendon, how do you not pick up first base and throw it? This is this is easy. This is easy stuff. You're gonna get your thirty dollar fine, and and you're gonna pay it. You're gonna be fine. This whole going out there and arguing to to rally the team just to just to get it going, and then to do the post the post game you know conference thing to say to act like you're still upset about it. No, 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 no. If you really think that they well, and make and make accusations. You know, they're, exactly. they're a classless team, and I know they threw at them. That, well, they that, are that a classless is totally team. out of line. They are a classless team. Historically, teams. they are, yes. I mean, it's the same guys. It's the same guys. They're they're crap. They're awful. I hate them. Altuve sucks forever, in my view, which, as you know, he was one of my favorite players in all of baseball for many years. And now I just, every time I see that smarmy face, I want to sock him because I know that they're up to something. I just don't know what it is. <laughs> I think Ryan Tapera. Uh, calling them out and saying, I don't know, it's interesting, something's going on. I'm cool with that move. I, I, I think opposing teams can I, say whatever I, I, I they want. Just, I think that was just dumb because I, I, it's it's not happening. Because if any manager, any team at any point had a teeny little era of evidence that it was happening, there would be in a phone call to the commissioner's office in 10 seconds. And the other thing is, even if they had no evidence but just to believe it was happening, they would be using sequential signs like they do if a guy's on second base. And nobody did that because you'd know if they did that because every three pitches, the pitcher would be taking off his hat and taking out the little card and looking at it and then putting back in his hat and putting his hat back on. But on the other side of that, they were banging a freaking trash can for ages before anyone noticed. It was internet sleuths that cracked the banging of the trash cans. Who knows what the hell they could be up to? All I know is I don't put it past them for a second. They are going to spend the rest of their careers getting booed every single at bat. 
for the rest. Uh, it's fair. Fans, fans getting on him perfectly fair. Altuve's going to play 10 more years, and he's never going to not be booed. And it's probably just going to get worse as the years go. On the go. other hand, cheering when he gets hit, that did not show class on the part of Sox fans. Booing him vociferously, calling him names, great. I don't care if you I don't care if you cheer when he gets hit. As long as you don't hit him in the head, I don't care. Like uh, as, these are pro athletes, you can hit him with a pitch, they're fine. Don't hit him in the head, don't put someone's life at risk. But if you hit a if you hit someone, whatever. You guys are getting paid millions of dollars. Jose Altuve's, you know, he's built like a sturdy small porter potty. So, you know, you can throw something at him, he's going to be fine. I don't care if Sox fans boo. We were the trash can victims first, so screw the Astros, screw them all. But the whole point of the thing is, you know, Larusa pretended to be passionate, and he wasn't. And then you get to after the game, and instead of showing passion about what our guys did, he pretends to still be passionate about the Jose Abreu hit by pitch thing which was all an illusion. If he was actually passionate about it, he gets thrown out of the game. Maybe it ignites a little bit of a spark under the guys. Have you ever seen a manager go out and argue that long to not get thrown out? I mean, everything well, the I, and I, did I, I do think the umpires were trying pathetic. very hard not to throw him out. I, I think course, they were really... Of course, really because you, someone said that what we were watching, and he goes, why, isn't, why aren't they throwing LaRusse out? And I was like, because he... You can't throw anyone out on the White Sox because no Astros players were punished for stealing a World <laughs> Series. So you can't throw any of the White Sox out. You could you could have Tim Anderson punch a guy at second base, just square in the face. You can't throw him out because you're playing the guys that stole a World Series. You can't you can't have you can't punish Tim Anderson. They tried that with Joe Kelly. When Joe Kelly threw at the Astros, they suspended him three games. More than any player was punished for stealing a world series i'm glad the series is over i'm now a boston red sox fan for the next week i would i 100 percent am rooting for the red sox in this series even though they're coached by one of the sneaky bastards who were part of well he was thing. kind of in charge <laughs> it, well no he was kind of in charge from the point of view of the players who were given immunity to pin it on him so he i'm sure he was aware i'm sure he knows but what do you think if someone came up to you and said we'll give you immunity as long as you tell us these other guys did it what are you gonna do these aren't these aren't geniuses these are dumb jocks they're, of course they're gonna take the immunity so they can get their 25 million dollars next year Come on, there is not a moral ounce in the those Astros players. It is gone. And they're holier than thou. When Tapera says, I don't know, maybe they were cheating. And the Astros are like, that's dirty. It's like, no, guys, no, you're the same guys. It would be different if this was a whole new roster. And it was the Sox being like, well, the Astros cheat. Then I would be like, well, no, you can't blame the guy who was 11 years old when the Astros were doing this. For, for cheating in, in modern day baseball. You can't do that. These are the same guys. These are the cheaters. They're playing the cheaters. And so I, I have no problem with Ryan Tapera saying that just to screw with them. Whatever, these guys are cheaters. I, I don't buy for a second that they won't cheat again if they get the chance. Why would you not? You're already going to be booed every away game for the rest of your life. Why would you not find another way to cheat? Why would you not? These are obviously crappy guys 
crappy guys with no morals, no respect for the game. Screw them. Screw them. I hope that I hope Boston comes out firing. I hope they drive them into the ground four games to none. I hope the National League wins the World Series, but I sure hope that the Astros get absolutely pummeled. I hope that, you know, if people are going to cheer when Altuve gets hit, I hope they hit him every time. I, I'm done with the Astros as an organization. They are garbage. They are crap people. I'm off my high horse. Dusty Baker should not have to be associated with this crap. They're an awful organization. Whatever. That's Sorry, it for so me. So do, I, do I take it? You see, you see them as a negative? I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. <laughs> Uh, and I still will tell you right now, my favorite baseball player of all time is Craig Biggio. The the Killer Bees Astros are one of my favorite teams of all time. I love those players. I'm sure they were taking steroids. I don't care. I not not Craig. He didn't get a big enough neck. But Bagwell. I mean, come on. Uh, and and you know, I still love those guys because to me, the steroid thing is a whole other issue than this this other these other forms of cheating. Uh, just just ridiculous speaking of cheating i have a theory and i want to know what you think <laughs> because dylan cease was lights out in the first inning carlos rodon was lights out in the first inning they get checked for the sticky stuff but don't can't you potentially go out with the stuff already on your hands and then have that advantage in the top of the first inning. And I'm not saying they're doing it, but I'm just saying we had some guys who were throwing you know what, what, what uncharacteristically I, good. I, I, I'm I'm not I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I doubt it. I, I think what happened was they both were pumping so much adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. No, they, I mean that they just, that's they, the real answer. That they trained everything in the first inning. And and I think what got trained, I mean all of our starting pitches were bad. Now and of course, we mentioned, you know, LaRusa made the usual number of really stupid bullpen moves during the course of the series. I think more than the usual. I can't believe Kopech in two days after throwing 47 pitches, a guy who'd been very, very careful of the use of. We were in that game was two to one when he came in. What? Where the hell was Reynaldo Lopez? What was he on the on the roster for? He was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a Rodon Lopez combination that was kind of the plan all the way ahead Lopez had a great September except for that last day of the year when he was pitching in a in a thunderstorm uh on a ball I that mean, had to be pretty much water I mean here's the thing you you have to fire Tony LaRusa and it has nothing but we, won't. but we won't which is insane because he did everything wrong I mean not just one thing he consistently made the worst decision. It all started with starting Lance Lynn in game one, which who is, is who gets killed by the Astros Lynn. every time. Uh, the Astros hit 290 against a fastball. Lance Lynn throws 96% fastballs. Are, what? I'm sorry. What? This is not, this is not BABIP war plus minus negative differential. This is who hits fastballs? The Astros. Okay, don't throw the fastball guy. That, I mean, come on. This is stuff that even Hall of Fame baseball person, old school guy, should be able to recognize. So then what do you do? You sit, you, you bring Lance Lynn in for game five so he gets crushed again? Everything was wrong about what La Russa did. 
putting Lurie in right field in a in a key defensive situation? Are you insane? That it was For no just reason. garbage. No For reason. No re- there was no reason to pinch it, Frankel. No, no reason With Hernandez. whatsoever. No. Hernandez, who, by the way, uh, did absolutely nothing to earn his keep. He came up in the most, I think, the most pivotal moment of the game yesterday with two outs, two guys on, strikes out looking, which is ridiculous. That was the moment where if if Cesar Hernandez, who, by the way, had one home run for the White Sox during his entire tenure, uh, if Cesar Hernandez goes up, hits that home run or a double, anything, then we all sit back here and we think, all right, all right, maybe, maybe. But he didn't. He struck out looking just like Yelich struck out looking to end the Brewer season, which is absurd that you're not swinging the bat, but that's a whole other thing. But Cesar didn't do it. And, and you know, I don't know what the hell Larus was thinking this whole series. The Kopech thing that you mentioned is a glaringly obvious thing. Also, then bringing in Crochet again makes no sense. Throwing Kimbrel ever makes no sense. I, Kimbrel should not have been on the playoff roster. You're talking about a guy who, sure, he was elite for a team that was not us, but then you bring him over and he's, you know, borderline the worst reliever in baseball from that point on. So uh, what's he doing making appearances in these games? Kimbrel is a guy that should have been in when you're up 15-1. Speaking of Kimbrel, Bob Nightingale, who is Jerry Reinsdorf's mouthpiece, Jerry Till says, Bob, you write this, and Bob writes it is saying they're going to pick up Kimbrel and trade him. Trade him to who? For what? You'd have to pick up $14 million of his salary. What, what's the purpose? Pay him a million dollars and, and let him go. The only thing you can do is if there's a scenario where there's other teams who don't want bloated contracts and we can trade bloated contracts for an even more bloated contract. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, if those Doesn't, teams are trying to get rid of their more bloated contracts, <laughs> it's usually because the person's underperforming. Yeah, those, those uh, things don't usually work out. That, that, that's usually a lose-lose trade. You you have to pay you have to pay Kimbrel the one million and get rid of him. You have to. Uh, and and I don't know to, that they will. Back to Larusa. We, we I think Larusa lost these playoffs long before they started. We've talked about this. I've never seen anybody else talk or write about it other than Steve Stone hammering on it heavily early in the season and then kind of dropping it later on as, as a lost cause. Uh, but he didn't even get into the numbers on it. I think Larusa destroyed the starting pitching staff. Uh, and he did it way back in June and July. And I've got a few numbers to kick into that. Maybe after the break, let's, let's, let's talk yeah, about let's, how, let's how Tony take a break this team before we ever got there. Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll, we'll start talking about how we really did not put ourselves in a position to even succeed in these playoffs. Um, uh, uh, we, we will do our best not to sigh and leave a bunch of dead air, but I feel like we're both just chock full of exactly that dead air today. Uh, but we will be right back on sharing stocks. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean? You don't just go to the beach. You visit a private Island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Sharing Socks. Uh, you've heard me, I think, yell more than I've ever yelled on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you were, which, even, you were even exploding your microphone a little bit there. Well, good. Wake, wake the people up who are listening to this. Um, but go ahead. You were talking about Larissa. Well, the, the thing from start and, and when it comes to advice on pitchers and pitching, I really listen to Stoney. I, I think he's obviously he's been there. A lot of pitchers have been there and still can't talk about it. He can talk about it. He's really good. And what he said from spring training on was that because of the short season last year, pitchers are going to have to be used very lightly compared to normally this year, particularly starting pitchers because they're not in that kind of groove. That's kind of counterproductive. You would have, after counterintuitive, you, you would have thought, well, they got more rest last year. They should be you know, rested up for this. He said, no, he, he said that they're not ready for that. And then particularly, you go to a Carlos Rodon who pitched 41 innings in two years and is back from surgery. He was brought back too soon last fall, but is comfortably back now. It's incredible. Again, the White Sox for almost all the season had had their starting pitchers go more than 100 pitches, far more than any other team. By the end of the year, in September, La Russa, somebody got to La Russa finally said, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, Tony. They're looking kind of tired. Uh, and, and the Reds, who were desperate, uh, ended up passing. And they had 45 games where, where pitchers, starting pitchers went 45, 100 or more pitches. The Sox had 44. Nobody else even close. We were more than twice the league average. Uh, innings pitched 39 and they're going to have to change this rule because it's gotten silly but 30 39 pitchers in the major leagues both leagues were eligible for the era championship which means they pitched one inning per game or 162 innings 1.3 per team right we had three more than twice as many as average uh now keiko was at right at the 162 he was at the bottom of but we but we had three uh, in uh, Giolito and and Cease and and, and Keiko uh, and Lynn did not make it to be eligible, even though he was leading. <coughs> Excuse me, because he was out for a little bit in September. Well, and the so other we thing, we had all those innings, we have the least efficient, we, and we've discussed all this stuff before. But I just want to bring it up because nobody else is talking about it or writing about it. We have the least efficient starting pitching staff in baseball. Of those 39 that I mentioned, uh, somebody keeps this stat. I think it may have been ESPN, it may have been a CBS stat. Of the pitches per inning, Dylan sees 39th out of 39. Giolito, 33. Uh, uh, Keiko, 35. And and I, I worked the numbers since they weren't on the list of Rodon and Lynn. Rodon would have been 35th just ahead of Keiko, uh, and Len would have been 32nd just ahead of Giolito. So they were all in the very, very heaviest use, and they all looked totally worn out in the playoffs. And anybody could have managed this team to a division championship. Uh, 
Ricky Renneria for damn sure could have done it. You could have done it. I could have done it. They could have picked a hot dog vendor. They could have had a cow poop on a square on a football field to come up with a lineup every day. And they were going to win the division once, once Minnesota collapsed. Once it was, so from May on, we know Minnesota had collapsed. We know Cleveland had had a sell-off plus their pitcher injuries were just devastating. And they're much more devastating than our, than our outfield injuries. even were. So we knew that this was just a gimme to coast in to take this. And so the whole thing should have been from that point on. At one point in June and July, Rodon pitched eight games in which he was over 100 pitches six times and at 97 and 98 on the other two. I couldn't believe it back in April when after the near-perfect game, five days later, they, they have him throw 114, was it? I, I think the, the next time out. That was crazy. But to do it time after time after time with a guy you know is going to wear out. And then, I mean, Cease has looked worn out. Lynn has been worn out for, for a month. And the great inning seeder, I mean, he, he's, he's older, you know. Uh, these guys had nothing left. And, and it and it was fine once they were when they were pitching against the AL Central, where half the lineup, you, you go to any of the AL Central teams or many other teams that the Sox played, Half the lineup was was at the Mendoza line. You can't do it when eight of the guys are excellent hitters, and even it turns out the catcher gets who can't hit at all gets a, gets a key hit because our guys are so worn out. Uh, it was just horrible mismanagement of the pitching staff from early on and all the way through the season. It's inexcusable. He should be fired, 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 and it's not going to happen until Jerry dies. And well, I'm I'm really interested in in sort of finding out behind the scenes what Ethan Katz was doing during all of this because if Ethan I, Katz that would be nice up, to know if Ethan Katz is going up to Tony and saying hey you gotta you gotta rest these guys and Tony's saying no they're going then Tony I mean he's 100% off the hook but honestly I end the year very unimpressed with Ethan Katz. Because if you look at it in, in the long run, yeah, you got Cease to a better place, but I'm not sure you got Cease to a place beyond what he really should have progressed to. Uh, Rodon well, Cease's back- problems are so much mental, I think, though. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not seeing exactly where uh, Ethan Katz excelled. This, the in a inefficiency of our pitchers is I think the beginning and end of the story for this White Sox season. I've never seen anything like it. It's really, really frustrating. And then you get to the playoffs and our starters are throwing 60 pitches through one and two thirds. And it, you well, just, it just can't work that way. You know, and they're they, facing they a good team. You know, they, you get debates in the comments section of our site or other sites where somebody will bring up justifiably, well, the Sox were under 500 against teams that were 500 or better, you know, 27 and 30. And somebody will go back, well, yeah, other good teams were, because if you're a good team, that's why you're under 500. Okay, that argument is viable either way. You can say it's really bad, or you can say, you know, it really doesn't matter that much. But the number to really look at to me is to add those two, 27 and 30, 57. The Sox played 57 games against teams over 500. That's one-third of the schedule, barely over one-third of the schedule. The Astros, who had also a very easy schedule, according to the people who do scheduling metrics, 
they were like 22 and the stocks were 29, the easiest in the American League, Milwaukee even easier. And we see what happened to them when they had to go out and play somebody. Uh, 57, when you're playing, you're playing basically a minor league schedule. The, the guys in the AL East, they're playing 57 games against teams over 500 in their own division. <laughs> they're playing more than half their games against good teams. It makes a difference. It makes a difference when you get used to, well, you know, I can hang a slider to half this lineup because they're just going to foul it off anyway. Instead of if I hang a slider to this guy, I'm a deep doo-doo. But there's a there's a mentality that's just totally missing from the pitching staff, which is is command and efficiency. I mean, it, it's just not there. We we have too many guys throwing outside of the zone constantly. I mean, that that's where your pitch counts go up. You're you're getting every batter to three and two sometimes. I mean, wh- where in in baseball strategy has it ever been a good idea to give someone three balls in a count? It's not. It's never been a strategy. And yet, if you watched a White Sox game, you would think our strategy is throw as many pitches to each batter as possible. Well, it's it's a bad strategy if that's the case, which I'm sure it's not. But why is there not more emphasis on efficiency? You, That is ultimately where we got here, because even though Lynn and Rodon didn't throw enough innings to make the top 39 or whatever, they probably threw more pitches than right, a lot of because the guys. They're throwing twenty percent more pitches in those innings. At least. Yeah. Yeah, well that's what it comes out to. The best pitchers are at around fifteen and seasons at eighteen. That's twenty percent. Yeah. It, it, it's just it's it's not sustainable, which of course is not news to us because we saw it be not sustainable throughout the season, but it really set us up for disaster in the playoffs. Um when you go out and your starters only have enough to to make it two innings, uh, if that, or at least, you know, we, we talked about going into these playoffs. Well, as long as the starters can go five, did any, I don't think anyone went five. Did anybody go so. five? No, yeah. because Lynn, of course, didn't. Giolito went 4.1. Uh, Cease was out after one and two thirds, I think, and Rodon after two and two thirds. Two. Um, And so, I mean, that's pathetic. That's, that's you, if you were coaching a a high school baseball team that plays seven innings, you would be very concerned that you don't have starters who can get to the third. I mean, come on, the third. That pitching staff was managed about as badly as you can manage a pitching staff. And that even takes out of that takes out of the equation even just who you're bringing in when, which was also a catastrophe throughout throughout the end of the season. But the the wearing down of those pitchers and the lack of focus on efficiency and command was disastrous for the White Sox. You and I have been talking about it for months on here that those pitch counts are just ridiculous. I mean, pitch counts in baseball in general are are way worse than they were before. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, definitely. Up. It used to be 14 was good, and now 15 is superb. You're right. And, you know, I mean, we got one or, one or two guys hit 15. And you Zach always Wheeler. used to expect your starter to make it, you know, seven, at least six, but ideally seven. And, and a lot of times you had 
the, the idea of a complete game now is if it's not a no hitter, it doesn't happen. So because pitch counts are too high, except Gio. Yeah, but but one, you know, um, versus, you know, the Roy Halladay days where I think half of his wins were complete games when he hit the 150 mark, which is Well, you know, Walter Johnson used to pitch both ends of the doubleheader. Right, or your your Vernon Law game throwing 19 innings and getting a loss. Um, (laughs) No, he didn't get a loss. He he didn't get the win. They won the game. Oh, right, right. (laughs) The no decision, yeah. Um, so it's just, if, if I'm taking away anything after the season, it's that La Russa has to go, which I'm sure he won't, but he has to go. He did everything that a manager did and biases aside by whatever you think of the guy. If you just look at what he did as a manager, he made every mistake. And he's also he made, an arrogant jerk. He, but even but let's just even take that I know, out. I know. So, that so, our, so our naysayers don't have that fuel. If you just look at all of the decision-making, which is supposed to be his expertise, right? His expertise is supposed to be handling a bullpen, handling a pitching staff. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. And, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, when we say that Rick Renneria could have at least gotten us to what we got to, but we're not wrong. We're not wrong. Renteria would have won the division. I mean, you, you would legitimately have to, you know, poison your player's food to not win that division if you're the manager. Even with the injuries. Even with the injuries. I, and yeah, everyone, I mean, the other teams oh, are just so feeble. Everyone says, oh, well, Tony did such a great job managing a team with all these injuries. Well, the guys who come up are the guys who have to come up. It, it's not like... Tony went, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to take the good triple-A guys. I'm going to take the bad single-A guys and see how it goes. And then they win the division. No, when people get hurt, you're going to bring up Gavin Sheets. You're going to bring up Andrew Vaughn. You're going to bring up Jake Berger for a few days. This well, let us, let us not forget your mean Mercedes saved the team for a month and a half. Saved the team, and then Tony destroyed him as both a player and a human being, it seems. Um, which, you know, I'm not saying your mean was going to make it anyway, but it's got to be noted that that was a huge hiccup in this season that did not need to happen at all was, was the whole your mean debacle. I mean, yeah, I think under any other circumstance, if it's any other manager, they are fired at the end of this season. It's not a fit. It didn't work. Ethan Katz should also be on the chopping block. I'm not saying you fire Ethan Katz because I think Ethan Katz has a lot to offer. What I think you do though, is you need to find someone who can help Ethan Katz become a pro baseball coach because Ethan Katz made a clearly was not getting done what he needed to get done or was but, not but, given but we, the voice we, we don't know. that he needed to have. In defense of Katz, who I think did a great job the way what he mainly does is shorten up people's delivery, and I think he did a great job with Rodon on that. He did a great job with Cease on that. He had long ago done a great job with Giolito on it. I think he well, did a great job with Lopez. That, but for the fact was that he making the decisions free against those guys? Was he making the decisions of who gets used how much? We don't know. Right. If he was making those decisions, then he made bad decisions. But he may not have made them in the least. Exactly. That's why I say you don't fire Ethan Katz. You need to talk to Ethan Katz about what went on this season 
and how you can change it so that he has more say in who is being used and how. Because, and if it's the opposite side, if it's that Ethan Katz said, no, these guys are ready to go, then Ethan Katz needs to go. Because he, one, put out the most inefficient group of pitchers I've ever seen in my life. And two, wore them down into the ground and, and, and really ended this season in a lot of ways. I highly doubt that that was all the work of Ethan Katz. So what I'm saying is La Russa should be fired. He, we, should, we should hear today that he's fired. We won't. Ethan Katz should be put under the microscope. And we should find out what went wrong with all these pitching things. Because you can argue, yes, the offense did not come alive during the playoffs. That's true. 100% true. But also... 75% true. They came alive on Sunday night. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, well, and technically they hit a lot of singles before that. Uh, But, yeah, it's just, I mean, what a horrible way to end this season. What an embarrassing loss. Awful way to go out. The players went out looking just miserable. LaRusse gave such a pathetic last-ditch effort to try to make things lively again. It was truly, truly a disgraceful finish. I'm not going to hate on any of the players because I know that they feel bad enough already. Um, I'm sure they all listen to this podcast, so there's no need to to dig into them. and, you know, it's an injury, injury-plagued injury season. You know, a lot of people are saying, well, Aloy didn't produce enough. Well, who knows how – Aloy was not 100% ever again at, this year after his stupid pectoral tear in minor league – there in, in preseason. Uh, it was just what a, what a defeating, deflating way to end this year. I can't even get into like potential moves to make. I think we should wrap it up there. <laughs> I can slowly feel <laughs> no, my, that, my those, soul those can, dying. Those can wait for another week or two. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, ho- hopefully we have something to talk about in that regard next week, actually, because I sure as hell don't want to talk about the Astros and Red Sox game, <laughs> uh, which, you know, we will, of course, because I'll be I'll be swapping out one color of socks for another for a week. And then going back immediately to White Sox, uh, but yeah. So uh, I, that, I think that's all I have for this week. What you have any final thoughts before we sign off? No, I I, I have absolutely no hope in Larusa not being back next year to screw things up again. But no, no. Totally agree to my fellow Sox fans out there who are feeling a bit uh, morose today. We understand. We are with you. This fan base is still awesome. I know that the geezer disagrees, but, you know, cheer well, I think it's an awesome fan base. I, I thought they were out no, of no, no. cheering Not, somebody getting I don't think, No, I don't think you think it's a bad fan base. I was going to say, I know you disagree with them cheering when Altuve gets it. Yeah. I say, go for it. We will disagree uh, on that point. Shocking. We've never disagreed before. Uh, but it's, it was a great season to to get to do this podcast. It was a lot of fun. These guys gave us a lot of really amazing moments. I still have hope for the future, and we will dig into what that future looks like moving forward. So that's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Sharing Sock.